Tonight's scripture reading comes from Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 44. Acts 2, 42 through 44. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common. Well, good evening. I know everybody's probably excited about the Christmas party that we've got afterward, and there's no way to make, no better way to make the, shoreman's, the sermon shorter than by being able to smell the food, literally, from the auditorium. Uh, so I think all of us are probably thinking about the smell. I can't even talk right because I'm just thinking about the food uh, that we're about to be eating. Uh, so we'll try to keep this as short as we can so we can all go eat. I do hope that you'll stay in Acts chapter 2 because we'll re- be referring back to this passage quite often tonight, but before we get into the study, I do think it would be appropriate uh, for me to give a quick word of thanks and appreciation. Uh, My family and I, we've been here about a year and a half now, and if you've ever made a move, a big transition, either from home or from a place that feels like home, you know that can be a really hard time uh, for everyone involved. And my wife and I and our kids, we are so thankful to everyone here for making that transition as smooth as possible for us. We greatly appreciate every kind word everyone has said, every encouragement, all the support of our campus ministry, uh, as well as us personally. We appreciate it so much, and we are so glad to be working uh, with you here, especially among our college students. Um, I also want to give a word of thanks and appreciation to our elders and to Randy for giving me an opportunity to be able to speak once a month. And that is certainly something that uh, is a great honor, um, and I'm very excited about as well. And Randy, I would like to say thank you for those kind, very kind comments this morning. You mentioned that we can go two months on one compliment. I think there were several compliments in there this morning, so I'm good for a while. Uh, Nobody has to be nice to me for several months. (laughs) Don't tell Kana I said that. Um, But Randy, I do appreciate that. Randy teaches us all so much with his words, but there's a lot that we learn from Randy that he doesn't explicitly tell us with his words. And I know Tucker and I watching in the office, we see a lot of things that a lot of other people don't necessarily see. But Randy, we thank you so much, brother, for your encouragement and for your wisdom. And I know Tucker and I benefit a lot from you, and we are thrilled to continue to learn at your feet for years to come. So thank you very much. Um, But Randy mentioned this morning uh, a key component in the life of any healthy church and really any healthy individual Christian, and that is the idea of encouragement. Now tonight I want us to talk about another aspect or a key component that really a Christian or a church cannot stand without, and that is the idea of fellowship. And you can see a great picture of fellowship here in Acts chapter 2. You can also see a very similar picture over towards the end of Acts chapter 4. And these are a few things that we've been discussing with the college group for some weeks now. We've been talking about being the church instead of just going to the church. And a part of being the church includes this word fellowship. Now, if I were to ask the first thing that might come to your mind when you hear the term fellowship, I would imagine probably most all of us would think of church in some uh, way, shape, or form. Maybe the first thing you think of is 
food. After all, we do eat fellowship meals in fellowship halls. Uh, So maybe you think of church, maybe you think of some type of meal, but fellowship is very often associated uh, with the spiritual bond that we have in church. Now, just in the English, the word fellowship doesn't give you any sort of magical definition. The added definition of a deep bond is connected to this word from somewhere else. Fellowship in your English dictionary is simply a friendly relationship or companionship or a common bond similar to the tune of maybe just passing down the street and seeing somebody wearing a certain color t-shirt with a certain slogan on it and tipping your head and maybe saying roll tide as they walk by. That's the type of fellowship that might be associated uh, with this word. But in the church, in the New Testament, we find something much deeper. In the New Testament usage, this word has to do with profound partnership or sharing or actually commonality in all things. So it is much more profound than some type of shallow, passing, casual friendship or relationship. It is something that was deeply rooted in common goals, mutual encouragement, mutual love, and a common life. It is, in fact, the truest sense of the word together. To illustrate, let's take a look again at Acts chapter 2. Now, thinking about this idea of fellowship and of togetherness and being one with each other, let's read again what the church does here, starting in 42, and we'll read through the end of the chapter. This is the earliest picture of the church that we get from any historical document, and certainly from the New Testament. In verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day they were attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. Here you have a small picture of what it looks like to be together in the truest sense of the word. These were people who were together in body, together in mind, and also together in spirit. They have a level of unity that a lot of us now will read passages like this and say, man, wouldn't it be great if our churches could be this united today? Wouldn't it be wonderful if my congregation now could have this type of unity that we read about in Acts chapter 2? And I think it's a sign of a healthy church. I think all healthy churches ask these questions of how can we be more unified? How can we have more fellowship? Certainly we maybe uh, might be doing well in that area. But I do think that all healthy churches continue to ask that question of how can we be more connected to one another? How can we be more together? And tonight I want to suggest three simple ways that we can be more together or have fellowship in the truest sense of the word. And we'll start with the most obvious and simple and move to the less obvious uh, and maybe more complex. But these three things tonight that I want to present are that we must be together in body, we must be together in mind, and we must be together in spirit. When I read Acts 2, beginning in verse 42, the first thing that, that really comes out to me is the fact that they spent so much time together. They were constantly with one another in and out of each other's homes, meeting in the temple. And you'll notice that it says they were together day by day. It does not say that they were together even month by month or week by week and certainly not year by year or quarterly by quarterly. They are together day by day. And this is one of the reasons that I think the community here on Faulkner's campus is so attractive to so many. 
Because many of you who have been a part of the community on Faulkner's campus understand that the church is really treat You can't really get away from the church, right? And a lot of times, sometimes that kind of irritates some of our students. But when you go to a school like this, you don't really go away from the church, right? The church is your community. You are constantly with the people of the church. You get a very quick lesson in the nature of the church when you become a part of a community like this. Sometimes we think of church as a place that we go to or an action that we perform or just a thing that we do for three hours a week and that's that part of our lives then we have these other part of our lives. But the church was never meant to be like that. The church from the very beginning has been a community designed for fellowship between its members. After all, we are all baptized into the same body of Christ As many of us have been baptized into Christ are members of his body. And you can read about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. The church is meant for us to be together in body. There is importance for us to simply be in the same place at the same time. In verse 44, you'll notice that that the writer here says, All who believed were together. Now the Greek literally says the believers were with each other. They were with one another. A certain literal translation of the Bible translates it this way. All the believers were together in the same place. Now here's a very obvious and simple point. You cannot have real biblical fellowship if you are not spending face time with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Certainly we would call a man delusional if he sat down to tell his wife, Look, honey, I want a deep relationship with you. I just don't want to have to spend any time with you. Like maybe, maybe two, three hours, I'll give you an hour on two hours on Sunday and one hour on Wednesday. I don't need to spend time with you in order to have a deep relationship with you. Now, obviously, uh, nobody wants to hear their spouse say something like that. Well, why not? Because common sense tells you that being together in the same place at the same time has a very significant role to play in any type of relationship. When we consider that these early Christians were together voluntarily in each other's homes day by day, doesn't that sometimes put us to shame? When we consider the amount of of unity or togetherness or fellowship that you can read here in Acts 2, I think at worst we might display an attitude that the Hebrew writer was really wrong in chapter 10, 24, and 25, where he basically tells us not to forsake the assembly, as is the habit of some. At our very worst, sometimes I think we say, well, yeah, maybe being together is important, but it's not, it's not important tonight, or it's not important today for these reasons. And maybe we marginalize or, or we think less of this idea of being physically in the presence of, of other people, and we might say, I want to be a part of the church, but I just don't really feel like I have to be around it. And there's a growing number of Christians now who believe that they can have Christ, or they'll say, I want a relationship with Jesus, but I don't want to have to be involved in a church. I don't really believe in organized religion. I don't believe in being a part of a church. I believe in being a, a part of Christ. I believe in being a member of Christ himself. Well, the problem with that is it's not only illogical, but it is irreverent to Christ himself. We referenced 1 Corinthians 12 a moment ago where Paul tells us that as many of us were baptized into Christ, we're baptized into the body of Christ. That is the community of believers. So when we become Christians, it is not simply a matter of our personal relationship with Christ. And yes, of course, I'm not trying to say that there's nothing personal. Obviously, we must come to a personal faith and conviction in Jesus Christ and personally give ourselves to him in baptism and commit ourselves to him for the rest of our lives. But we cannot, we absolutely cannot say, well, once I am saved and once I am a part of Christ, I want nothing to do with his body. 
The Apostle Paul would say the exact opposite. A part of being in Christ, a part of putting on Christ in baptism is becoming a member of that body. Is becoming a member of that community where when one member suffers, we all suffer together with it. And when one member rejoices, we all rejoice together with it. There is a deep sense of community rooted in the Christian life. Being present then is greatly important. It is a huge part. It is a key component of being a healthy Christian and being a part of a healthy church. But being together in person is not enough. We can't just be together in body. We must be together in mind. And you can see that very obviously by just placing two people in a room together and expecting them to pop out as the best of friends. You can't simply stick people in the same room and be together in presence, be together in body, and assume that by the time they walk out of that room, they're going to have developed a deep sense of what we're calling here tonight New Testament fellowship. Certainly it takes something else other than that. I have two great examples to this point. The first is 1 Corinthians 11. You remember that the church there in Corinth was divided over many things, and part of their division was evident in their taking of the Lord's Supper. Now imagine that. The Lord's Supper, which we refer to as the communion, communion with Christ himself, and also the body of Christ, they are meant to be partaking of this communal meal, this fellowship meal together, but what have they done? They've taken it and they've used it as an opportunity to do the opposite of practicing fellowship and community. They're dividing themselves up on who's rich and who's poor. They're dividing themselves up along several different lines. In Galatians 2, you see they divided themselves up along lines of ethnicity. You see that Paul is saying he had to rebuke Peter to his face because they were all together in the same room, much like that church in Corinth. They're all in the same house maybe eating together, but there's no real fellowship there. They're together, but they're not together. They're together in body, but they're certainly not together in mind and in spirit. And when you see what Peter did over in Galatians 2, when he is at a meal together eating with the members of that church in Galatia, you'll find that several of them, or excuse me, they were in Antioch, you'll find that Peter, along with several of the Jewish believers, would not eat with those who were Gentile. They were together in the same room, but they were not together at the same table because they were afraid of what others might think of them for associating with other types of people. So they were together in body. The idea is they were together in body, but they certainly were not together in mind or in spirit. So certainly it is important for us to come together and to obey those words that we read in Hebrews chapter 10, that we should not neglect the assembly, but we don't need to take that as a prescription to just show up and warm a pew and then go home and say that we've done our job. We have such great fellowship. What that will produce is a group of people who come into a building, sit in a pew, get out of the pew as soon as the the bell has rung, walk back home and then complain the next day, our church doesn't have enough fellowship. We don't have enough connection in our church. We don't have enough people who are willing to reach out and talk to others. Can you believe I walked into church, sat down, nobody said a word to me, the sermon ended, the songs ended, I walked up and walked out the door, nobody said a word to me, no one has called me, our church needs more fellowship. And what you'll find that person not doing is walking into this building looking for someone else who's sitting on the pew with no one talking to them, going out of their way to create fellowship. You see, our worship assembly and something to the tune of the meal that we will have tonight, these are opportunities for us to create fellowship. But just because we have a fellowship meal and a fellowship hall does not mean that we are actually partaking in fellowship. You cannot just sit in the pew or sit in the chair and expect I'm doing my job to fellowship and be doing what Paul and what Jesus certainly would have prescribed for us to be doing now. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 
or excuse me, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 10, Paul writes this to the Corinthians. He is pleading, he's pleading for them to be unified time and time again throughout the book. And he opens the book with this argument. Let's read from verse 10. Paul says this, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and there be no divisions among you, but that you may be united in the same mind and in the same judgment. And Paul will write something very similar in Philippians chapter 2, that we should be united. We should have this phrase here that's very interesting that we don't have time to discuss tonight. This phrase, the same mind, be together in body, be together in your mind. Much like any sports team experiences a greater sense of unity when they have a common goal and a common purpose, they are a group of people of the same mind. They are trying to get the same things done. And indeed, we cannot truly be in fellowship if we don't all have the same goal. We cannot truly be in fellowship if we are all not headed in the same direction, which Paul would argue from Ephesians and Colossians is the direction of growing into the maturity of Christ himself. I don't know if you played a lot with Legos when you were a kid, but me and my brothers when we were young, we spent a lot of hours, we logged a lot of hours playing with our Legos. Now, my younger brother and I, uh, we would sit down with a pile of Legos and, you know, we're not really thinking about what we're going to build. We're just putting the little blocks together. You know, which one, which piece looks cool? I'm going to put this here and put this there. We didn't really have much of a mind of what we were doing. So when we got done, we really just ended up with a useless pile of Legos that were just connected in awkward ways and weren't really truly connected to form something that was meaningful. Now, our older brother, on the other hand, is a very mathematical engineering type of mind. And even as a kid, he's like mapping out, literally drawing on a piece of paper, this is what I want to build with my Legos. And so by the end of our time with the Legos, our older brother usually was much more successful in producing what he was wanting to produce because he knew what he wanted to do before he began. Now, I would argue that in the church, if we are not on the same page of knowing where we want to go as we are building this together, as we are building the community of Christ together, as we are building an effort to reach out into our community together, we're not going to have a whole lot of success if we're like the child who's just randomly uh, placing Legos together, trying to make them fit without some sort of cohesive idea of this is my purpose, this is where I'm headed, this is the vision of our elders, this is where I fit into that vision, this is how I want to help reach our community growing together in the good news of Jesus Christ. If we don't have a clear picture of where we are headed and what we are doing, if we don't even have a mind to begin with, we cannot have the same mind with other people in the room. So if we want to be fellow travelers with another person, we must first have a destination that we ourselves are trying to head to. And if we want deeper fellowship in the church, we can renew our commitment to having a mind of singular focus on the person of Jesus Christ. You'll notice that the mind of the early church in Acts chapter 2, what were they devoted to? The apostles' teachings, to the fellowship itself, to the body of Christ itself, to the mere idea of being a unified body of believers. They were committed to, devoted to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. This is the basis upon which uh, Luke informs us here that the early church had built this type of unity. And let me ask you, which one of those things do we not have today? Which one of those things do we not have that we can all unify around today? See, I think sometimes we read of this unity here in Acts 2 and in other places in Scripture and say, man, that was, that was the ideal, that was perfect, but we'll never get back there because we can't do it like they did. 
But you'll notice these things that they have there, which of them are we not able to rally around today? They were devoted to the apostles' teachings. Certainly we can devote ourselves more fully to the apostles' teachings here and now. We can devote ourselves more fully to this idea of fellowship, of being united, of encouraging one another. Of all these verses that you see on these posters around the building, these are all things that we can renew our commitment to today just as they did in the first century church. So if you want to see our church more united, if you want to see more fellowship in the church, the solution is not to do, as Randy mentioned this morning, being on the side of just pointing out all the flaws and saying this is where our church needs to grow or these are the things that we need to do. The, the solution to making our church more united and a church to have more fellowship is not simply to point out the problem. The solution is to become more devoted ourselves. The solution is not to say they ought to be more devoted to fellowship. The solution is to say I ought to be more devoted to fellowship, to devote ourselves more to the apostles' teachings, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and of prayers. It is certainly reasonable for us to achieve a similar level of togetherness as they did in the New Testament. In fact, that was the entire idea. So we need a common goal as a part of being of the same mind, but we also need a common activity. Common goal actually usually denotes naturally a common activity. Coming together with a common goal might not be so useful unless we have a common way to achieve that sort of goal. And certainly I'm not discounting the different gifts and the different talents and the different members of the body that Paul writes about in 1 Corinthians 12. But what I am saying is similar to if you have two people in a room and you give them the same goal and you say, come out of this room being encouraged. They might not be as successful if you tell them, come out of this room being encouraged by praying for one another. And you see this type of thing at work in youth events all over the country all the time. Even at Exposure, coming up in a few weeks, you'll see that the leaders of that event have carefully crafted, crafted these opportunities for the kids not only to be together in the same room with a common goal, but to give you guys a common activity as well. So that's why a lot of times you have to do those icebreakers that If you're kind of a little introverted like I am, you hate (laughs) because they make you very uncomfortable. Um, But this is the idea because at the end of that icebreaker that's painfully awkward, you have a little more camaraderie with the people in the room, right? And it's crazy to see just how in such a small amount of time from such a goofy event like an icebreaker to youth event that we can start to create the bonds of fellowship where maybe there's a lot of walls that divide us beforehand, but those walls are broken down simply by the fact that we are trying to do the same thing together. The church is a place for a shared life, not just doing something together. Dr. Paul Austin Wolf has written the following quote, So many families will make swimming, tennis, music, literature, and even the church a part of their family's life. They all go into it together. Other fathers and mothers will go to the edge of the pool, sit in a chair, and say, Go on. Is it any wonder, then, that so many of our kids fail to realize the wonder and the beauty of great music, great literature, and great faith. Too many of us are sitting at the edge of the pool saying, go on and join them. Too few of us are actually in the pool saying, come on and join us. One great way to enhance the fellowship of any body of believers is to come on and join us, is to be involved in the activities of the church yourself. And at a church this size, there is absolutely no excuse, and I'm sorry if I sound harsh here, but there's no excuse for us not to be involved. There are so many opportunities for us to be a part of the fellowship and for us to contribute to the fellowship. We have so many wonderful ministries led by competent, responsible men 
And we have no excuse not to be involved other than the simple fact that we choose not to. Let's take advantage of every opportunity we have to be involved in the goals and the activities of our local congregations. You might, one thing that might stick out to you from Acts chapter 2 is what you read about in verse 44. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling all of their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Just take a moment to let that sink in. These people were so, devel- or so devoted to this idea of fellowship and community <clears throat> and putting one another's needs above their own. They were literally willing to sell everything that they owned. And you can read about this in Acts chapter 4 where Barnabas, that we mentioned this morning, sells a field and gives literally all the money to the apostles and says, use this money to see to the needs of all of the members of our congregation, of our community of faith, because it's not just something I do. It's not just somewhere I go. It is where I live my life. This is where I live my life, and these are the people most important to me. This is where true fellowship happens. That's why these people were motivated to do this thing, but you take that idea of selling everything and giving to others as everyone else in this community has need, where none of us say, this is mine and that is yours, but it's for all of us to use together. You drop that into our culture now, and you say, well, that is absolutely crazy. How, how could any of us ever expect to do something just like that? And I will remind you that it was no small feat for the early church to do the same thing. What is it that would drive some people to be so extreme in their measure of being devoted to one another, of having fellowship, of being together in mind, or to get, being together in body, and being together in mind? I would argue it's because of the third point that we have tonight, a third and final point. They were together in spirit. They were not just a part of a club or a fun little social community to make them feel a little bit better a couple times a week. They were a part of something that was truly much greater than any of them were. They were a part of the kingdom of God on earth. They were a part of the will of God being done on this planet. And they were moved not just in their minds, but in their souls. They were committed to these things. Let's read verse 46 again, and we can see the result of such a thing. Day by day, they were attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts. It is one thing to ask people to be together in a room. That's pretty easy to be done. It's another thing to ask them to work towards the same common goal with the same common activity. That's a pretty easy thing to do as well. It is another thing entirely to ask a group of people sitting together down to a meal to feel the same way. To have the same attitude in their hearts. That is something that transcends any type of uh, obligation to to, to do an activity or to to try to think a certain way. These people were literally trying to mold their hearts and their character after the example of Jesus Christ. And that, I will argue, is what helped these people to be able to reach this level of fellowship. To be willing to put these other things aside, not because they're worried about their own status and their own selves, or maybe just trying to build a good church and say, well, look how great our church is. They were not concerned with maybe how great their community or church was. They were concerned with following Jesus Christ. They were concerned with molding their hearts and their character after his example. And as a result, they all had a similar attitude. Not just activities, but a similar attitude. One commentator has written that all of their shared activities had meaning only when they expressed their common life in 
Christ. You might remember from the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus spoke to this crowd of people that is called his disciples. He spoke to this crowd of people who were likely very familiar with the law of God. They were likely very, very well versed in what God wanted done and how he wanted those things done. But you'll notice that Jesus says, you've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. Everybody in the room is saying, well, yeah, we certainly shouldn't do that. That is an activity that falls outside of the parameters of following God and certainly outside of the parameters of the fellowship of Israel. And keep in mind the punishment in the nation of Israel was so much based on purging the evil away from the camp, of getting people out of the community or the fellowship of the body of the, the believers of God. Remember, Jesus says, you've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. So the action, the activity. But I say to you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to the judgment. Anyone who says, you fool, to his brother will be liable to the hell of fire. It's not just the action or the activity. It is the attitude in the heart that leads to the action or the activity. And a lot of times we will say, well, if you're not necessarily excited about doing something, well, just do it. Pretend like you're excited to do it, and hopefully eventually our hearts will follow. And while many times that is true, Jesus argues for us to be thinking about these changes, not just just do the thing you hate doing without the attitude to match. He says, change the attitude first. He says, you'll know that the Pharisees, they, they love to stand and pray. They love to give their money. They love to do all these things, but in their heart... They have no reward from the Father because they're seeking for the glory of other people and not for the glory of God. Their, ad- their action is right, but their attitude is not. And if we want to promote greater fellowship in our church, then we must, we must change the activity, but we also must change the attitude of our heart. It's interesting that it's interesting what united. These Christians. If you back up to passages that are so familiar to us, let's look in verse 37. Peter has just finished his famous sermon on Pentecost, and the people are about to respond to what they have heard. Verse 37, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And let's keep in mind the they here in verse 42, they devoted themselves, this is the same they. This is the same group of people who are responding to the gospel message here that have this incredible level of unity and fellowship in verse 42 and following. Verse 37, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you, for your children, and for all who are far off, everyone who calls on the name, or excuse me, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. They were united in spirit, and they were also united quite literally in the spirit. And that is the same thing that can unite all of us here today. If you wondered what a congregation would look like of people who are full of the Holy Spirit, this is a question that a lot of people ask. What does it look like to be full of the Spirit? What does the, the work of the Spirit produce? What, how does the Spirit work in our lives? Are we, are we healing people miraculously? Are we, are we speaking in tongues? Are we doing all these other things when we're filled by the Spirit? Paul is going to tell you in one of his letters, certainly, that we all know very well, and I don't even need to tell you, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, 
faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. If you want to have greater fellowship in the community of believers, we can all be united in that same fruit of the Spirit today. Those who are full of the Holy Spirit now will be full of those same fruits that they were full of then. Can we not all today partake of that same promise that was given to them in Acts chapter 2? Can we not all today devote ourselves to the same level of fellowship within the congregation? So then, in closing, we closely associate the ideas of church with the ideas of fellowship, and rightfully so, because, simply put, the church cannot exist without true fellowship. In closing, let's consider this quote, the church is never a place, but always a people. Never a sacred building, but always a believing assembly. The church is those who pray, not where you pray. A structure of brick and marble can no more be a church than your clothes of satin can be you. There is no sanctuary of God but the soul of the believer. How can you promote better fellowship in your community of believers tonight? What can you do to promote a greater sense of unity, a greater sense of togetherness in the days and weeks, months and years that follow? Maybe you're here tonight and the way that you can promote fellowship among us is by joining the body of Christ yourself. Maybe you know that Jesus, as the Son of God, came to this earth to die for your sins so that you might have a chance of eternal life. And maybe your heart is convicted just like these believers were that we've read of tonight. Maybe your heart is convicted and you're wondering, what is it that I should do to respond? I would give you the same response that Peter gave to those same believers. Repent and be baptized for the remission of sins, for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Or maybe you're here tonight and your devotion to fellowship needs renewal. Maybe you're here tonight and the things that have gone on in your life, whether it's tragedy or whether it's simply that times are tough or whether you're laden down with anxiety and worry and you simply need the help of the church, then let us do what Galatians 6.2 says and bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. If there's anything you need tonight, we hope that you'll come now as we sing together.